my big deal was is when I first got out of here, I wanted to see the, all of northern Mexico and find out what's, you know, what's here. And I take my little beagle dog and we take my old 59 wheel Jeep station wagon, four wheel drive, and hit these back roads and see different campgrounds and, uh, you know, primitive stuff and fish a little bit, camp a little bit. And we might come home in a day or two or three or four or a week. You know, we, we didn't know. Um, but there are some beautiful areas up here that uh, it's, it's, it's just breathtaking. And it's, it's a small thing in this world that makes it really worthwhile. Hey there, everyone. Welcome to the Backroad Report with Jill. I'm Jill. Thank you for listening. That was Gary Bowen. He was a He's a resident of Eagle Nest in northern New Mexico. And he was nice enough to have an interview with me this week and talk about what it's like to live in that tiny town. It's right on Eagle Nest Lake. He is a fisher, a hunter, and he is a tracker. He also works for the state parks up there. And he's was um, he described all about his life up there in Eagle Nest, and I wanted to share with you this interview I had with him where he describes everything about moving to the tiny town when he, after his divorce and um, what, it's, what it was like to give up a life from Dallas. He moved to Santa Fe, Albuquerque, and he did... Um, a whole bunch of things to make that sacrifice, but he really loves it, and he just shared all about that in hopes that um, somebody out there might resonate and give you an idea about what it's like to move from a larger town to a very small town of about 280 folks. Now, Eagle Nest has, um, the last count, it is about 280 regular residents there, and Eagle Nest is in Colfax County, New Mexico. It is situated on the Enchanted Circle Scenic Byway. And there, a bunch of people go there to enjoy what they offer on Eagle Nest Lake during the summers. It also has quite a few people who come for the winter to enjoy that town. But um, mostly the, the folks there just who live there really, you know come together as a small town in New Mexico and it's just about three hours away from Pueblo, Colorado. It's right about on the Colorado state line. It's about three hours also away from Albuquerque, New Mexico. So it's really on its own out there. It's right kind of next to um, on the other side of the lake. There is Cimarron and also the Philmont Scout Ranch. So it's kind of right in there in northern New Mexico. And a lot of folks go there to recreate and to enjoy the outdoor offerings it has with the hunting and fishing and all of that. Here's Gary and what we talked about and all of the things he had to share. I look forward to the snows. Where I come from uh, back in Texas, we get a, used to get a lot of ice storms. And that's... Uh, not nearly as nice as the good wet snow here. Yeah, uh, you definitely. Ice storms kind of tend to shut everything down. <laughs> yeah, so. absolutely. And up here, of course, I have to probably trust up here is great. Uh, 
cleared, cleared, cleared the snow off and stuff off of the roads. Um, of course, in the mountains, you still have the uh, areas that uh, are in the shadows and shade that still get iced over, and you have to deal with it. But the deal ticker does a great job with what they have to work with. So, does, and that's one thing I really love about small towns is that not, you know, people tend to help each other out, I would say. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, you know, it doesn't matter your, uh, <laughs> your background or creed or whatever, um, or what you think. It, it's everybody kind of throws together and, and gets things done and, and moves on, and uh, it's, it's a positive. Right. So that's a wonderful thing to for people. So what's your favorite thing about moving to Eagle Nest? Uh, probably the simplicity of it. Um, the things, things don't seem to be as important. Um, some things. Oh, not as important as you think they really are. Yeah, you've got to. It's like today. I've been hauling wood in the side because the snowstorm's coming in uh, all morning. I've been taking a little two wheeler out there and loaded up, bring it up, stack it inside the house because I don't really want the snow to get, dig out wood out of the wood pile. Mm-hmm. Um, but the main thing is, it's, 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 um, it's made me more self sufficient. Uh, because I know if, if I don't do it, it won't get done. Mm-hmm. And if you will be comfortable, then you have to work for it. Right. But it, it is awful easy to get lazy up here when it's so, so damn pretty, you don't want to do anything except sit on the front deck and either watch the geese land on the lake or the fishermen out there, you know. And, uh, but you, you've, you've got to be prepared to do things that you normally wouldn't do if you want to stay comfortable. Used to, in my younger years, I'd go out there with a chainsaw and a pickup and a trailer, and I'd cut my little firewood, bring it. Yeah, you know, a dollar bill uh, anymore is a whole lot more to, easier to spend uh, to have it brought in without having to, have to do all that, but it, it was used to be the adventure of it. Um, going out in the woods, you know, Falling a, 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 a dead tree, cutting it up, stacking it on a trailer, bringing it home, reflecting it, that kind of stuff. But, you know, no, you can't stop, that's not quite as much fun. Sure. Um, but I, I think my, the, the biggest part of my, my story is, is, is being self-sufficient. Um, and knowing that, hey, if you don't get it, if you don't do it, it's not going to get done. Mm-hmm. And I guess that really came home when I when I first moved up here, uh, going through the divorce and you just sat down after been in a regimented type uh, environment and living in a teepee for three and a half years. If you don't do it, son, it won't get done. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess that's what uh, kind of drives me to do what I do today. I mean, you've got to you've got to step up to the plate if you want to be happy. That's so true. I think that a lot of people need are looking for happiness and they just have to take that extra step. 
Yeah, it's worked. It's not. It's not a give me. I mean, um, you've got to get out there and say, "Hey, okay, uh, <laughs> this is up to me because there's nobody else around." Right. And uh, be accountable. I mean, you know, <laughs> if you want to stay warm, it's up to you to to make sure you're warm. Mm-hmm. Because everybody's in the same struggle. Yes. Definitely. <laughs> and a lot of people are looking, like I said, so many millions have already left the big cities and are looking for a smaller community. But there is a little bit of extra work they have to put in. I mean, we've all gotten comfortable with going down the street a couple blocks and you have four different stores to buy everything you need. <laughs> But it is a little extra work when you move to these smaller communities to to get your wood piled up and to, you know, do the things you have to do to live in these small towns. But the reward for your personal happiness and comfort and and all of the other things that come with it is just immense. It's just, it's a whole different kind of reward. Yeah, but... Jill, most people, um, most young people anymore aren't taught um, to know what it takes to get a commodity from one point to the other, to the other point to here, to your table. Mm -hmm. Um, And this sounds really stupid, and it is stupid, but I have a a younger brother that... um, married into a German community that most of them are German. Mm-hmm. And this young lady came in from college and she was doing this thesis and and uh, a report. And she says, uh, I'm here to do a, a thesis on where milk comes from. So they go out into the dairy barn and they're milking these cows and she says, oh my God, that's nasty. Yeah, well, this is part of the process. Oh, I think I'll buy my milk at Walmart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she had no idea where milk came from. She thought that, that chocolate milk came from brown cows. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I have actually seen people come out here from, from back east that has never seen a cow in the wild. Wow. So you think... Um, where in the world is this, are we headed? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I had a young lady one time. I was, uh, I'm, I'm an avid spring turkey hunter. Um, I hunt with a 20 gauge or a 62 caliber smoothbore flintlock rifle. Mm-hmm. Got good. Uh, and in my little group on Facebook, which is deals with, deals with mountain men. Mm-hmm. Uh, we put a blog on there about our daddy hunts. It wasn't about the harvest or the kill. It was the fact that what what did we see? What we do? How you know what went on that day? Pretty instant type thing. This, and I have no clue where this girl come from. On my Facebook, because I didn't know her. She said, "Oh my God, I cannot believe you had the audacity to hunt a wild turkey and kill it." When you buy one out of Alvis's grocery counter, it has not been harmed. Hmm. 
Well, I had a, I, I had a couple of good stiff burgers that night after that long hunt. Mm-hmm. So I decided to answer her back. I said, well, you know what? Here's the deal. I kind of like my turkey, you know, uh, without broken glass and feathers and the breast of the turkey. Yeah. And she said, what are you talking about? I said, well, I, I, I've been, I, I have an agreement with the Taos County Sheriff's Department and Alvin's managers that I won't hurt to hunt turkeys and their frozen food counter anymore. <laughs> well, I don't understand that. I said, well, I know that's a because I couldn't get anybody to hold that uh, door open when I shot that turkey. That's why he had the broken glass in the, uh, in the in turkey breast. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it would it escalated. I mean, I, I mean, it, it's just unbelievable. She thought that I had actually gone to the and shot a turkey out of the <laughs> <from> food counter. <laughs> and I and I asked her. I said, "Do you have do you have turkey for Thanksgiving?" She said, "Oh yeah, all the time. I buy it right out of the out of the counter." I said, well, "That's great," but it got way out of hand, and um, it just tells me that people have lost all direction mm-hmm. of where food actually comes from. And they don't realize how how many steps it goes through before it gets to your to your table. Mm-hmm. So I've been pretty, you know, pretty much, you know, self sufficient all these years. Right. Um, I actually, uh, I normally uh, hunt a cow elk every year and a um, harvest buffalo over on the Taos Pueblo up here and. Uh, Yesterday, at uh, my, at my at my work at the state parks, I had a some friends show up, and, and uh, my boss said, "There's somebody in the parking lot unloading some stuff." I said, "Yeah." I said, "I just had a I, I bought a half a beef, and they're putting it in my cooters, but my putting it in my jeep." And uh, he said, "You bought a half a beef?" I said, "Yeah." It's actually, any more cheaper than going out and hunting the time you buy the permit and spend the time and and that kind of stuff and you know I stay I try to stay prepared uh, for anything right more especially in, in today's time and so he said well that's only four coups of stuff out there I said yeah he said what'd that cost you I said nine hundred twenty dollars mm-hmm. and he said my god he said, that's that's a lot I said yeah but you gotta look at it this way, I'm not paying fifteen or twenty dollars per roast or this, that, and other in the grocery store, and and, and not knowing what I'm getting. Right. Well, if I you can even get, yeah. If the I guess beef is going to be really hard to come by. I, I've heard a lot of places aren't even selling beef right now. I guess yeah. like Subway and things. I've seen a sign saying we're no longer carrying beef products here anyway. Yeah, and it's uh, it's all political. It's not. Uh, we've got more beef right now in the United States than we've ever had, mm-hmm. and quality beef. But we've had to, too many people interfere. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, we talk about this about this pandemic we're having right now. You know, we've had more deep people die this last year from tuberculosis. Mm-hmm. Then we have for the corona. Mm-hmm. 
Well, we'll stay away yeah, from political. It's <laughs> yes, it's serious. It really is. Mm-hmm. I just had I just had a my, my, the very last um, aunt that I had on my dad's side passed away the day before yesterday, and they ruled it coronavirus. Hmm. But she's eighty five years old. Yeah. Well, um, but the beef, the beef is, I agree, and I think that um, a lot of folks, you know, I remember we used to get um, our meat from an actual butcher, and there are a lot of butcher shops still left, especially in the smaller towns. I think that it, that is a great idea for people and I wish there were more butcher shops because you can go in and select what you want. Right, right. And you know where it's coming and, from. And you're getting animals that, that have not been shot for antibiotics and and, and all kinds of this, that, and other. Uh, you know, I spent 30 years in the, in the baking industry and... Uh, it's sad to say that you have a loaf of bread that will last 28 days without molding. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> and, and when I first started, if, if I, I can remember my dad chewed my butt out and all my bosses, if that loaf of bread went past 32 hours on the shelf. Mm-hmm. At the grocery store. I mean, we pulled it, we, it went from there to the day old bread store and then to the hog feeder. Mm-hmm. And now you you take a loaf of bread, it'll last for 14 to 28 days without molding. Yeah. That's also preservatives. And I feel like that most of the stuff that we're ingesting now has got so many preservatives in it. Hell, you don't even need to be involved when you die. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so, I, you know, my suggestion to anybody, if, if they grow their own produce and their meat do it yeah and that's why I, I decided this last year so I'm going to bite the bullet I'm going to, I know this young man I know his family I know where they come from it's an old old time Hispanic family from New Mexico and he's big into raising animals the back way and I Stepped off the curb and said, I, I want you, to, I want to at least have a beef. Right. And I had a ribeye last night. It's the best ribeye I've, ha- I've had in years. Oh, wow. That sounds really good. But I think people need to be a cattle and, and step up to play and say, hey, you know what? I'm trying to play this game. And, and get back to the basics. Right. And quit letting these fish entities and companies. Uh, rule how you live your life. Yeah. I've got a I've got a, another guy up here that wants to start the place up here for the, the state that he's raising some pigs and I bought a pig from him and I'm going to process a dead good thing myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I want to know what they've been eating. Um, you, you know, when I, when I was growing up as a kid in the neighborhood, if we caught the measles or the chicken pox or whatever. Hell, they let us run together. They let us play together. We we, we did herd immunity. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, let's get this over with. The only thing people were really afraid of was the birds, you know? Mm-hmm. 
it's the mental way we're brought up in, 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 in the media we listen to. And well, and people were basically self-sufficient. They, If you wanted something and need something, you made it happen yourself. Right. And I think that, you know, people are willing to go back to that time. and I think they want to, and I yeah. think they need to. Yeah. You know, I can remember as a kid, um, people had a barn that maybe fallen down or they had need to build a barn, and the whole community would show up. It was kind of, it's kind of like the Hispanics out here in New Mexico. They have kind of like a little fiesta, mm-hmm. and they bring food. They do this, they do, and, and everybody. And next thing you know, this barn's put up. Mm-hmm. All this barn's repaired. It, you know, uh, I can remember, remember as a kid uh, with my grandparents. Uh, my my father's side was they were masons and butchers and this kind of stuff and my mother's side were ranchers and farmers mm-hmm. and they'd have a task to do and tell the whole community to show up and get it done in one day wow. and then party and eat and have fiesta type thing I thought you know what this is what the world's about mm-hmm. is helping each other through their hard times that's the way I grew up yeah day it's never made every man for themselves Right. You don't see that anymore. Right. Well, you see it definitely. It's a shame. It is a shame, but you do definitely see it more in the smaller communities, I think. And not that it is, doesn't happen in the larger communities, because it really does. But it's more, I think, the beautiful thing about the tinier towns and the smaller communities is that it does happen a lot there. And that is a benefit of the smaller. It is absolutely. Yeah, it's like Eagle Nest. When I when I when I moved up here, um, going through what I'd been going through and what I was what I was going through at the time, even though that you had people up here that you didn't normally run around with or didn't want to run around with, if there was a task to be taken on. Everybody took it on and helped out and got it done and got away from it. Now, next week at the saloon, uh, you might buy the guy a beer or a drink, even though you didn't really like him, but he showed up at the event to help. Mm-hmm. And uh, you've got to take that in, into consideration um, and, and, and and love it. Mm-hmm. Um because people just, they saw the need, they threw, they threw their hat in the ring and said, hey, let's, let's get this doggone thing done and get it over with and move on. Sure. And uh, you, you don't see that in the big city. Right. Because people are so dead gum, uh, busy taking care of themselves that don't want to see it. Um, it. It's like me and the fishing guide minutes up here. Yeah, they're competition, but they're coming in with, they got a load of passengers, they got a bunch of kids on board, this, that, and other. Uh, they're coming to the dock to go to the bathroom or get off get off the, the lake for the day. You naturally step off your boat and go out to the end of the dock and kept, catch the boat, stabilize it until these people get, get off mm-hmm. while the guys control the boat. Mm-hmm. That's common courtesy. Mm-hmm. And, and you see people say, you know, down in a restaurant or saloon, oh, uh, you know, I saw, uh, I saw you help, help this guy out here 
uh, when we're getting off the boat and your competition. How do you do that? I said, well, it's, it's professional courtesy. Yeah. And he'll do the same thing to me when I come in because, you know, it's 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 all about being a human being, a good human being. Mm-hmm. Well, we we appreciate how y'all work together. Yeah, you may not like the guy, but it's your obligation to the customer and to the people up here to make them have the most pleasant uh, trip they've had. Mm-hmm. And you don't realize that till it till the weather gets nasty on this little old lake up here, which is only about. 3,000 acres, but when it, when it gets nasty and, and windy and, and, and the, you know, the white capping and the waves come in, everybody is out there on the dock helping you get in and get off safely, even though you've got your boat off the water. That's just who we are. That sounds wonderful. Now, well, how- it is wonderful because you never know when you're going to have to be the one that, that needs the help. You have a lake up there, and how many people live around the lake, or what are the homes like? What does it look like? Well, around the lake, um, most everything is, uh, we've only got like 280 people live up here year-round. Okay. In the village of Nest. Most of the homes are on the north end or west end of the lake. Okay. Um, people don't realize that this is this is a man-made lake that started. The process started in 1907 with Charles Springer. Um, he didn't get it. He didn't get the permit to build a dam till 1915, and the lake was actually filled up in 1918 or starting to fill up in 1918 when we got the dam built. Mm-hmm. Um, he was part of. His uncle, Frank Springer, was an attorney out of Philadelphia who represented uh, Lucian Maxwell through the land grant wars up here from the Bobine Land Grant, mm-hmm. which is a Spanish land grant. Uh, he, saw the, he saw the need to back the water up and let it out under a regulatory type thing to irrigate the farms to the east. Okay. Cimarron, Springer, and so it's quite a process, and that's how EOS Lake was, was formed. Mm-hmm. And because of, as we call the West, Price Springer was a, what did cut out it? Okay, you said as part of something. Okay, Price Springer was a, was a, a, new, a, a young attorney from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And Lucian Maxwell hired him to de- to negotiate uh, the Bobine land grant war. Um, and he actually took the Supreme Court and won it. And for his part of it, he got like 300,000 acres of northern Mexico as part of, part of southern Colorado. This payment. Hmm. And then Charles Springer, who's a nephew, wanted to come out west to see what the west looked like. He got out here and figured, you know, it's a pretty good place to be, and he decided he wanted to be part of it. And they they formed the CS Cattle Ranch. Okay. 
who owned who owned the swamp here around Eagle Nest at Hakefire, and he saw the need to hold back the water that came off the snowmelt to help with irrigation for the farmers back east. Mm-hmm. So he started the process in 1907 to um, dam up this water here from the Senegal coming from the south, the Merino Creek coming from the, from the north, and the Six Mile Creek coming from the west off the Taos Pueblo. Okay. Which formed the headwaters of the Seminole River. And um, he started his process in 1907 for permits and didn't get the permits processed till then. 1915, mm-hmm. and then by 1918, they had fished the dam. Okay. And that's what, that's what started Eagle Nest Lake. Wow. And for many years, uh, since cattle company uh, maintained and kept the lake stock up there for the tourists for trout fishing. Okay.
programs going on, but at least, you know, on your side of the things, the public, once everything opens back up, which I'm assuming is going to be pretty immediate. Um, now that and I'm working, I'm working with a group right now from the Boy Scouts to uh, do a hiking trail and horseback trail uh, from the Boy Scouts into Cinnamon Canyon and back up over to the north of uh, us up here around Baldy uh, for hiking and and. Horseback trail in the Philmont, which is up on the east side of Baldy. Wow. Yeah. And you know, what it, we we have a lot of a lot of hoops to jump on this deal because us as a state park shared uh, the property with the gaming fish, so we 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 have to have a lot of blessings to get this done, but. I think once it's, if it ever materializes like we think it will, it will be beneficial to the whole the whole world. Sure. For biking, horsebacking, and, and that kind of stuff. That would be wonderful. It's, it's all pristine territory. Um, years ago, before it all turned into wildlife management and, and uh, private entries, I, I used to take my mules up through there for sometimes 10 days, two weeks by myself. Wow. And never seen another human being. It's, it's a pristine territory. Right. They yeah. probably had a good swing system mountain back in the 1900s. Oh my gosh. Now the mountain men thing, you do a program where you reenact some mountain men yeah, I have. I've done it all all over the United States uh, through the years, but I've finally, you know, based out of illness, but I do a mountain man program from actually the 1800s to 1940 time period. Okay. Um, that's kind of the chosen time that I, I kind of picked out that I feel, feel comfortable with. Mm -hmm. um, and I do a lot of stuff with the American Mountain Man Association, uh, which is a a group that you're invited in instead of just school up and sign a card and pay your dues. Right. Uh, it has to be. You have to have a sponsor, and it, it takes several years to get in. Mm -hmm. And uh, we do stuff up to 1840 time period. And uh, that's actually when the, the fur trade, you know, took it to the downfall and demise mm -hmm. because the, the price of the, of the beaver pelt went down because of silk. Wow. My great-grandfather was a tra fur trader <laughs> from that's cool. I mean, Canada. That's really cool. Wait, and then well, he came uh, over? That, that, that's so cool because we have some here uh, even... Oh, from Eagle Nest? Offers came down, and then they, of course, uh, married into this families. And uh, that is what just thrills me about this because... You, you you have people coming down from the north mm -hmm. and intermingling and, and uh, it's just cool. I mean, I think <laughs> uh, you, you look at some of these uh, Hispanic names that are called Blanchel and um, this that and other thing. Ah, that's Canadian. <laughs> I know, uh, but they're Hispanic people and yeah. uh, that, that's what intrigued me. One time I had. Uh, Access to the uh, archive at the Kit Carson Museum, uh, a 
Christian and Martinez and the Palace of Jefferson Santa Fe. Mm-hmm. And I got to help hold some of the relics from, from the past. Uh, and a lot of them were French, French uh, trapper oriented from Canada. But what more especially, and what I love about Taos is you have a fur trade hub. Mm-hmm. And you have people from all different cultures. People don't realize that in, in Taos and Mexico, back in the 1800s, there was some many Jewish people there as there was Hispanics. Mm-hmm. Because they were traders, they were, they were merchants, merchants and stuff. It seems to be the trend right now that people are moving from the cities, like just migrating, you know, to get out of the cities and move towards the rural areas well, again. Well, that's, uh, that's, you know, uh, of course I was going through a, a, a time change when I was retired actually early. In my life, I, I figured I'd be retiring in my late 60s from the, from the industry. But good program brought in by the, by the union and from, from the industry, uh, I got to retire at 55 years old. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, to be honest with you, I was ready. Mm-hmm. And I'd been married to the same, same woman for, for 27 years, and we'd grown apart. and. We're still friends, uh, but it was time for a change, and, I, and, and it took me a long time to adjust to it because I'd gotten in that rut. Mm-hmm. I had always longed to be out here and be in the West and be in the mountains and do what I thought I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. That's not quite as, uh, um, <laughs> it's not quite as uh, luxurious as I thought it'd be. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of hard work. Uh, you've got to really want to be here, but you don't make the transition. And uh, it actually, I feel like it probably extended my life because I, I'm away from the stress. I mean, you don't have as much stress as that's what put on you. And uh, it, it got me back down to the basis of, hey, you know what? You've got to get your butt out of that chair and go do something if you want something to be accomplished with us. There ain't many people here to help you go do it. Or no, it's going to go do it for you. So uh, it's just kept me uh, in fairly good shape as far as hauling wood and cutting wood and getting prepared for the winter. And that's just part of the program. And um, of course, I'm, uh, I'm an avid hunter. And uh, I like to harvest like my own meat. I like to process my own meat. The only, the only thing I have as far as a drawback from where I come from is we don't have a growing period up here in this high altitude to grow a good garden. Mm-hmm. I like fresh produce. So you have to do all party things for that. So usually I run uh, two or three times a summer over to Hunter, Colorado, or find a good uh, uh vegetable market someplace and buy up stuff and I come home and I process it myself and I I have several buckets of preserved it and I'm pretty well self-sufficient when it comes to that but uh, I I don't depend on the grocery store other than for you know a little milk and bread mm-hmm. and if if I get real desperate hell I'll make my own damn bread yeah I'm, I'm pretty good at that and 
but it's just a matter of, you know, how you choose to, you know, serve yourself in life. And I like being self-sufficient. The only thing I haven't done so far, and I've had this thing for like three or four years now, I've had some friends from Texas that uh, brought me up a steel and gave it to me, and, and uh, I haven't tried to produce any alcohol because uh, I'm afraid about going to that dumb town now. <laughs> So that sounds like an interesting and a fun way to, something fun to do there. Yeah, well, you know, it could be, but uh, I just, uh, I know my, my uh, um, oh, I know how I act sometimes when I get into something like that. You know, I can't work on it. I'm not much of a mechanic when it comes to vehicles and stuff. I can, I can mutter myself by I don't like to, but I will. Mm -hmm. If you want something made as far as taxidermy or something tanned or clothing made from the 1800s, you bet. Come to me. I'll help you out. But uh, I flint map. I make knives. I make spearheads, arrowheads, kind of stuff like that. I do make custom knives. But that's what I like to do. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to working on a vehicle, I just say shoot myself in the foot. <laughs> oh, no. Um, but that's when you have friends that kind of like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, I, can, I can maintain one long enough to keep it running sometimes, but that's not my forte. Now, if you want to pack in the mountains with horses and mules, I got the gear, I got the talent, I got the know-how, I guess it'll get you back. But that's what I've chose to do. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a pretty odd character, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. I, I, uh, I've not been uh, one that uh, is afraid to ever step off the curb and do something. I've been over a few times, but I've survived it. Um, and I love, I love the outdoors, I love the wilderness, I love being out, out in nature, and that's my sanctuary. Um, well, it sounds wonderful. I, I appreciate you sharing all of your thoughts and your wisdom and insights today. You know, I think a lot of people will you know, be interested in it and a lot of people are wondering what it's really like out there. So I don't want to take too much of your time, <laughs> but I really, really well, appreciate it. The main thing is I want people to realize is they're tougher than what they think they are, and don't be afraid to step out and do something different. Definitely. Be, be, be your own person. Uh, make yourself happy because, you know, um, if you're waiting for somebody else to make you happy, you may be waiting for a while because they're trying to they're trying to find the same thing. Right. Um, don't be afraid to make an adjustment in your life. Just think about it. You know, when I moved out here, I didn't think I'd be living in a teepee for three and a half years. But I made that decision to do it, and it worked out for me. It won't work out for everybody. I like being up here with very few people. Now, I love to have people come here as, uh, as guests and visitors during the summer. Mm -hmm. Of course, you meet so many unique people. 
But I'm also ready for them to go home too. Yeah. I, I like the laid back life. I like the fact that, uh, you know, if you're 30 minutes late, that's not really unreasonable sometimes, other than I still stay, I stay pretty punctual. But uh, I do like the fact that we have our own independence. Right. And that is a, a true thing, is that if people are looking for independence and want independence, that's definitely the kind of thing that you need to have if you want to move somewhere like this. Yeah, and, uh, you know, uh, that's what really uh, I, I love when people move from, like, New York, New Jersey, or, or California, or wherever, like back to New Mexico, to try to slow down. Mm -hmm. Okay, there's one thing I have to ask, and I don't know why it just popped into my head. <laughs> because I, are there a I lot like of... Those thoughts. Okay, <laughs> it's totally crazy. I don't even know why I thought of it, but is okay. Are there a lot of trees around Eagle Nest? Because I personally have not visited there. A lot of trees. Oh yeah. Trees. Okay. Uh, we have pine. We have pine, uh, spruce, this stuff spruce, uh, aspens. If you have not, if you have not ever been up here, you need to come. Okay. Uh, yes. I have not been visiting there. Um. Because I was working all the time, <laughs> but um, so I'm a big Bigfoot enthusiast. Like I have, I have not actually been out there, you know, looking for Bigfoot. But have it, has anybody? Have you ever had anybody looking for Bigfoot up there or anything like that? All the time. All oh my time. goodness! <laughs> if I had a guy from upstate New York coming through here. And he grew up uh, up in the wilderness, and he would set up a camp. Came here on, on a big motorcycle. It looked like Sanford's son because <laughs> he had a guitar, amplifier, and all kinds of crap hanging off his his uh, uh, Yamaha. Uh, oh my <laughs> god! Uh, but he was from upstate New York, and he was a, he was hunting Bigfoot. Oh my god! He would set out trail cameras and all kinds of traps and stuff like that. And you can't, you know. <laughs> I love you know, it. They, they do it all the time. Oh, um, wow. In fact, I've got, a, a, when I ran uh, Eagle West Adventure uh, fishing tours and guide service up here, mm -hmm. um, I have a guy up here named Kermit, who I've known for many, many years since I put on the first mountain mountain I was up here back in the 80s. Mm -hmm. He is probably 6'4", six, 6'5", six, probably weighs 380 pounds. Mm-hmm. Well, I, he has a, a a friend of mine made him a buffalo coat, coat uh -huh. yes. with all the hair out, and then he found he is a character. He found a uh, gorilla head costume at what they call Angel's Attic, which is a fruit store <laughs> ran by the Baptist Church. Oh my gosh! So. Uh, I'll, I'll take him across the lake over there and put him in the willows over on the, the far east shore of the lake mm -hmm. and let him walk through the willows with his costume on. Oh and then he puts on a pair of elevated type boots so it makes him look that much bigger. So he walks through there as Sasquatch. Oh, no. A big foot. In one of our deals one night, we were sitting around drinking and uh, around the campfire, and we 
I had some big, uh, what they call fourth quarter wood, which is about four inches thick. And with our imagination, we made two Bigfoot feet. Oh, no. And put some leather straps on it. And so I was, I was working at State Park at the time, and the water kept washing up on the, on the sand there at the beach. So he and I walked down the beach with those damn, damn things on <laughs> one night. <clears throat> and uh, the next day I thought, nah, I'll get all these Texas and these Oklahoma guys. They'll get excited down here. And I've been on the side-by-side forward, uh, the Ranger. But I already prepared all this. I, brought, I had brought past plaster Paris and stuff out of my taxon shop mm-hmm. to the state office. And so I'm, I get down there early in the morning at 6 o'clock, and these, these fish were down there. I said, hey, aren't you a trapper and a hunter and this, that, and a tracker? I said, yeah, yeah, I am. Well, can you come look at these look, look at these footprints? <laughs> and it was, it was us. And I said, oh, man. I said, you guys get back. So I put these stakes in the ground, put these yellow caution tape, and do not cross this uh, security line tape up. And, I said, I'll be right back. So I went up to the office and loaded my stuff the back to Polaris and get in there and make these plaster casts. And they're like foot tracks. And I put these little flags down, number of marks, but then these guys have just gone crazy. <laughs> so a buddy of mine was the manager of the RBS Lumber Company in Angel Fire. He called and said, what in the hell have you done out there? He said, I have sold 350 pounds of plaster Paris. I am totally out of plaster Paris. <laughs> what, what's going on out there? I said, I said, well, there's some Sasquatch trash out here. So he drives all the way out and brings his own bag to get copies of these tracks. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and they still think there's some Sasquatch trash in the lake. But, you know, we did it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Well, one of the funny things out is that the thing just got to, you know, I, I seem to think I know you. I said, you think so? He said, yeah. He said, didn't you used to guide, did you ever guide uh, horseback trips and, and hunting and fishing trips up in, up in Red River? I said, yeah, I did back in the, in the late 60s, early 70s. He said, I thought that was you. He said, by the, by the tone of your voice and your blue eyes. He said, you remember that little girl, little blonde-haired, blue-haired girl in uh, Julie? I said, uh, yeah, that was my daughter. <laughs> oh my I said, oh, my God. He said, I thought that was you, but I wasn't sure. She said, you know, she, uh, she's still not married. I said, yeah, but I am. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it's really a small world. Yeah, you think about it. Definitely. Talk to people. <laughs> well, I I do think Bigfoot or Sasquatch is out there, but maybe not in Eastern. I'm kind of like you. I do too. <laughs> um, you know, and I don't. Uh, if if you ever if you ever sit down and talk to a, a lot of elders with the the Indian tribe stuff, they know they're there. Yeah. There's so many, so many stories. I love hearing about them. 
So. Well, um, you know, it's uh, you've got to get away from the news media. Yeah. You've got to get with the real people. That's that, that's the deal. Get away from the, all the false stuff and the negative stuff, and you know, realize there's there's more out there than what you see. Right. But you've got to be willing to to to, to roll with it. I mean, there's some you're going to agree with, some you're not going to agree with. So you're like, yeah, well, is it? Truth is a fact. Whether just live it. Yeah. Keep an open mind. Yes. Um. You know, every, everybody thinks like this election right now is between two minutes, not. Mhm. Um. Yeah, there's two men involved, but they're characters. Yeah. Um. You better get down and look at the real facts. To make a decision on what's already going on, and it's not good. Mhm. That's so true. Um, well, I sure appreciate you sharing all these stories and and all about your life and all about the different things that you've been through. I really appreciate it, and I hope that you have a a good day out there and. And I will definitely keep in touch with you, and you let me know if anything else happens or anything that you want to keep us up to date with. Well, I appreciate that, and I enjoy talking to you. Thank I'll you. I hope one day meet you, you know. I know. Um, well, have a great day. You too. Good talk to you. Okay, you too. Take care. All right. Okay, bye. bye. Well, thank you for joining me on this episode of the Back Road Report with Jill. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you enjoyed learning about Eagle Nest with Gary. Thank you for um, listening in, and if you did enjoy this, please subscribe, and I hope you have a beautiful week.